We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Tuesday Rotowire DFS podcast brought to you by FanDuel.com, the leader in one-week fantasy football. I'm Adam Wolf, joined today by Chris Olson. You can find Chris's work on rotowire.com. He writes the weekly Dominate Your Duel article, explores some of the umpire matchups uh, that are going to be there for your Tuesday through Thursday MLB slate. Rotowire DFS DFS podcast is now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so if you get a chance to rate or review us, please go ahead and do so. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Uh, Chris, obviously with the NFL starting up big time, it's going on all around in DFS right now, but we will st- continue to focus uh, on the baseball matchups for Tuesday like we do every every time we get together here Monday afternoon. And really just kind of spotlighting some of the pitching matchup, it, it does seem like there are some good arms on the mound. Uh, you talk about Jake DeGrom uh, getting a nice matchup there uh, against, uh, who, who's he facing right there? It says the... Uh, the Marlins, I believe. The Marlins. He's facing the Marlins. Strasburg's got the Phillies. I, I think I can kind of confuse those two at first. But uh, both key matchups for both of those guys, Felix Hernandez at Safeco against the Angels. So uh, a lot of quality starting pitchers on the board right there. So can't really go fault anybody for, for going with one of those three aces in any of the matchups. But if you had to choose out of those three, who do you think that you'd be uh, staking your claim to? I think I like uh, DeGrom. I just... I think that, uh, well, obviously we know he's a great pitcher. All those guys are great pitchers. But DeGrom has even upped his K rate in the second half. It was impressive before. It's 10.4 per nine over the second half, which is just really overwhelming. Uh, the weighted runs created plus of the Marlins versus righties, as we often say, worse in the league. And, you know, it could be a pitcher that uh, can pick up a win. I know that Kohler, coming off that 10-strikeout game, uh, career high, but still uh, unimpressive uh, walk and strikeout race this season. Uh, susceptible to a blow up. Uh, he's allowed five runs or more in four of his last nine starts, and we know how potent that Mets offense has been. So 
I think there's a lot of factors that can lead to a very nice start for DeGrom here. Yeah, and certainly the win probability is high there with the the things you mentioned about the Mets offense going against Kohler. Kohler, not anybody that uh, typically shuts down the top-tier offenses. So a lot going into Grom's favor in that regard. But uh, Strasburg, 13 strikeouts last time out when he came back from the injury. Uh, is he somebody that you think is going to be reliable from start to start, or are we going to see some of those hiccups that sort of plagued him in the early going? It's sort of hard to tell with the injury issues and coming back. The one thing about Strasburg is, even when he wasn't pitching well, for the most part, his strikeout rate has always been up. So he's always going to be that guy who has the potential to either give you a great game when he's going well or salvage you when he's not pitching so well but can still reach back for those extra points with all those Ks. And Hernandez himself has also been very attractive of late as well. I believe he's gone eight innings and three straight outings, but... Man, I was just burned with him on DFS earlier this season. I think I started him one time when he had that home start against the Astros where he gave up something like seven or eight runs. Also had another uh, bad outing where he gave up close to 10 runs as well. So it just seems like uh, Felix has been a little unusually prone to the blow-up this season. I don't know if that's necessarily something that you uh, consider when, you, when you're doing your DFS lineups. Maybe sometimes you just have to take a holistic view and realize how good Felix really is. But it does give you some pause, though, that an ace like that has been prone to blow-ups on occasion this year, though, the matchup against the Angels seems to favor him just because of uh, how weak that Angels offense has been here in the second half. Yeah, uh, he definitely went through a rough patch, no question. And I can see how that would put some people off, especially, as you said. I mean, I mean, we've all been burned by uh, top starters at one point or another. But, but that's the game, you know. And, and uh, being a DFS player is sort of like being a closer, right? you got to have a very short memory. So... As you said, I, I think I think the matchup is good here for Felix. His overall numbers uh, still look very sharp. ERA is a, a little bit higher than what we're accustomed to because of those blobs. But the K rate, the walk rate is still very strong and still a top-tier pitcher, in my opinion. So Hernandez, Strasburg, and DeGrom, I think, are the, the clear top three for your, for your daily slate on Tuesday. In the second tier, I'd probably put somebody like Carlos Martinez, uh, John Lester, just because their matchups aren't quite as favorable. Lester gets the Pirates on the road, and uh, Martinez is also on the road against the Brewers. Brewers' offense not that great, obviously, but playing in Miller Park can be uh, somewhat dangerous at times. Uh, but if you aren't going with one of those top-tier pitchers, uh, one of the middle-tier guys that I've really become uh, riding the bandwagon for is J.A. Happ. He's just been fantastic since coming over to the Pirates. Not sure if it's just a case where uh, he's been clicking with the pitching coach, Ray Searage, who we've seen turn, down, turn around a lot of careers here. But uh, just it's hard to argue with the results about how fantastic Hap has been. 179 ERA, .99 whip, 42-7 to 7 K to B B ratio, over 40 and one-third innings with the Pirates. And he gets a matchup against the Cubs. Well, I know he said that Lester is going to be opposing him in that second game of the doubleheader. But even if Hap doesn't get the win, I do like the, the odds of him putting the Pirates in at least good position to get there just because of what he's been able to do since coming over. The Cubs, even if he doesn't win, the Cubs are bound to strike out a lot just because that's what they do, whether that's you know against left-handers, right-handers, you want to talk last 30 days, you want to talk full season. They're always at the top of the board in terms of strikeout percentage, and Hap's strikeout rate has been ticking up since joining the Pirates. And With those two factors colliding, I just see a lot of potential here for, for Hap to deliver another brilliant outing. Yeah, it's funny with J.A. We saw a little of this last year. It uh, wasn't as prolonged as this. But I, I do think that Hap is, at his worst, maybe 
a, a fringe usual pitcher and at his best, well, we're seeing his best, as you said, uh, strikeout rates way up. And the, the Cubs, I mean, against left-handers, they're a bottom-of-the-league team. They have a, a mammoth strikeout rate, 26%. So Hap could definitely be a pitcher, especially if he's trending upward, to get you a lot of those points. I mean, not to mention, as we've detailed the matchup, we talk all the time about how strikeouts are important in FanDuel. Well, we have a high strikeout pitcher, we have a high strikeout team, and that usually yields some favorable results, especially when uh, the Pirates are at home. And I'm sure his salary will be trending up on FanDuel. We don't have the prices released yet for, for Tuesday uh, as we're recording this right now. But uh, at the very least, though, Hap probably will be below the level of those other three pitchers that we described, Hernandez, uh, DeGrom, and Strasburg. and might be just as good of a value uh, based on you know what you get per, per dollar on Hap and allow you to really uh, maybe spend up on some of those hitters if you're comfortable going with them. And he's somebody that I'm certainly uh, at this point comfortable with, go- with using. I don't necessarily think that he's going to, to pitch at the level that he has thus far uh, for the rest of the season, but we're getting to the point where we can't really ignore the sample size and I think the matchup against the Cubs is favorable enough that I'm going to take a chance on somebody like Hap. Yeah, it would seem to be. It's funny because I was looking, and as you said, you know, Hap, he's not a secret anymore. I mean, before you might say, well, I, I have a sneaky play here, but he's actually been so good that it's not that way anymore. So, yeah, you might get a bit of the salary trending upward, and you might get a little less scarcity than you might associate with a name like J.A. Hap. But as you said, I mean, there's a lot of, of good things working for him here and could be a play that uh, could yield you some big points, absolutely. So he's probably the, my favorite of the middle-tier pitchers, but maybe we can't even consider him middle-tier uh, depending on where he's going to be priced on Tuesday. But a guy that probably will find himself closer to that middle range is Brett Anderson. Gets a matchup against the Rockies at Dodger Stadium. You like him as a potential value play. I this I think is my favorite value play of the day. I think uh, well, first of all, we should mention that Anderson had his uh, last start skipped after leaving the previous outing with a cramp. Uh, it, nothing indicating that it was serious, and he sh- should be back on the bump. The Rockies, uh, we have a very fortunate combination here. They are the la- last in the league against left-handed p- uh, pitching by WRC plus. And, 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 and by a wide margin, uh, 64, the next closest team is the White Sox at 77. And that would be good enough, but they're also last in the league on the road. And as we know, uh, the Dodgers are, are in a very pitcher-friendly park. So with those two factors together, and also the fact that Anderson is a supreme ground ball pitcher, Rockies bottom half of the league in fly balls, not terrible, but bottom half. So all those things together... I think that Anderson could be lining up for a very sweetheart of a matchup here. And he's somebody that I think always has a pretty high floor anytime he goes out. He's not going to give you a lot of strikeouts because of that ground ball, that high ground ball rate that you cited. But he is generally good to give you six innings. And, you know, when when you just want your pitcher to work deep in games without giving up a ton of hits or a lot of runs, Anderson's a good bet to do that. And not to mention against the Rockies, should have a pretty high win percentage against a team uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum in the NL West uh, division race with the Dodgers being the juggernaut, Rockies kind of being an also-ran at this point. But um, Anderson is somebody that I like. I don't know if I'd necessarily go with him over Hap, but again, there's probably going to be some cost savings if you do decide to go with Anderson over Hap, and that'll just allow you to stack up on hitters even more so. 
Absolutely, and that's that's what we're looking for. Um, especially today, we haven't. We'll get into it in a second, but um, there are quite a few um, very very uh, mediocre, to put it kindly, pitchers taking the bumps. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity for big point totals and hitting, and we're going to want to be able to cash in on that. And these pitchers would allow us to do that. A couple more middle level pitchers that I just wanted to spotlight quickly: um, Jake Odorizzi is somebody that I think also fits into the Anderson school of thought where just gives you a high floor every time out. He's tossed between six and seven innings and in eight of his last nine starts. That's remarkable consistency. Uh, hasn't had a quality start in all of those outings. But um, the, th- the thing is, you just want a guy that can give you the innings sometimes, especially if you're doing those multi-entry lineups where uh, you do want to stack up on, on some of those more expensive bats. I think Odorizzi is pretty good in that respect. Last time against the Yankees, who he'll be facing on Tuesday, he, he was bombed for three homers, but that game was at Yankee Stadium. I think the results will be a lot, lot different this time at the Trop, where the, the park generally fuse a little bit more hitter, or skews a little bit more uh, pitcher-friendly. So Odorizzi probably will make out a little bit better this time. The only thing that worries me a little bit about him is just that uh, it seems that the Rays never put enough runs on the board for him. He's had just three decisions in those last eight starts. So uh, tough to see him coming away with the win, especially against a good team like the Yankees. But he is somebody that I do like, at least if you are trying to save on salary. And then um, another more off-the-radar play that I think is a little bit intriguing is Julie Chassin. Uh, when last we heard from him earlier this season, he was dumped from the Rockies rotation after his uh, velocity was was way down in, uh, in spring training, but has resurfaced with the Diamondbacks, had a good season in the PCL with AAA Reno, and through his first two starts with the Diamondbacks, he was generally pretty impressive, didn't walk a lot of batters, was getting some strikeouts, and it's really hard to make much about two starts, but against a team like the Padres, who are really playing out the strain on a losing season, I think that uh, Chassin can return some value for you. Um, obviously not somebody for the risk averse to target, but if you're going maybe five or six multiple entries and you just want to diversify your pitching, I think that he's somebody that you can look at as a wild card play. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely not the worst play. Like you said, uh, uh, really had a strong showings in the minor leagues, uh, ERAs in, in the low to mid threes, uh, this year. And as you said, those two starts have been very impressive. I'm, I'm not sure. I think, I think you're right to temper expectations. Um, the velocity is still down a tick from, from, from where he was. It's about 88 uh, through the first two starts, which is survivable, but maybe not ideal. But as you said, if, if we're trying to go cheap and, and we're trying to say a guy who also would maybe be one of our first real scarcity plays who can get you some points, uh, Chassin might be the guy. And a guy that I think has also generated a lot of buzz that will be on the mound on Tuesday is Joe Kelly of the Red Sox. He had been kind of uh, exiled from that rotation earlier in the summer, but has since come back in a big way, winning eight straight decisions. And we talk about wins not really being indicative about how good a pitcher really is. Uh, although Kelly's ERA is trending in the right direction, I don't necessarily think that he's somebody that you are going to want to, to go with in daily just because the upside uh, isn't extremely high as some of the other options out there. He typically hasn't worked very deep into the games uh, that he's been pitching of late. He's mainly benefited from the Red Sox offense kind of taking off here. And he's also not striking out as many batters as he was earlier in the season. Even when he was getting hit, or hit harder, he was still at least getting a lot of strikeouts. But he seems to have traded off some of that strikeout stuff uh, for weaker contact right now, and that just doesn't make him as much of a, uh, of a sexy name in fantasy. So uh, he's somebody that I'm going to stay away from uh, at Camden Yards. Uh, he'll be facing the Orioles. Uh, is he somebody that you are are looking at as well, Chris, or is he somebody that you're kind of fading to? 
Well, I don't know if I, I understand your concerns. I don't know if I would if I would go as far as to say he's a he's an ultimate fade just because the strikeout potential of the Orioles themselves uh, could could compensate for that for that lower rate that you're talking about. Um, I like Joe Kelly. I think he's made some some very tangible changes here in the second half. Uh, the decreased walk rate, strikeout rate is about the same as you said, and. The ground ball rate uh, throughout the year hasn't hasn't been uh, where it was, but I still think he's a guy who could probably survive and maybe give you some fringe double-digit points on the day. Chris, the first week of football season's in the books, and let me tell you, it was quite a doozy on FanDuel this weekend. I entered an expert tournament and was sitting in second place heading into the Sunday night games and had... Uh, Eli Manning and Odell Beckham kind of as cornerstones of my roster, the guys that I really paid up for and structured my lineup around, but barely did anything in that game. I think Manning threw for less than 200 yards and no touchdowns. Beckham had something like four for 30. So uh, probably took myself out of the running uh, for the money spot in that expert tournament on FanDuel. But even if you didn't win in week one, you can still get back on FanDuel this weekend. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Money is real. They're paying out over $75 million a week this football season. Building a team, always easy. Just pick your players, stay under the salary cap, and then just sit back in, on Sunday and watch your team win. Or in my case, Rue, that you ended up going with Beckham rather than somebody like Julio Jones, who I think is actually going to go off on Monday night. But I guess we'll see what happens there. Uh, on FanDuel, entry fees start at just $1. Anybody can play. And, you know, if you had good results on FanDuel this week on playing football, tell me about it. Tell me You can reach me at Wolfman Tweets. Just exchange feedback. Maybe I could use some tips from you. I could give some of my own opinions on that. And, of course, keep listening to the DFS podcast throughout the week because we will have more picks for week two. And if you want to get more involved, if you missed out on the chance to do so in week one, you can go to FanDuel.com, click on the, up, the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, and use the code RWDFS to sign up now. It's a special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it up to 200 bucks. It gets earned as you play. It's a bonus of up to $200. And the offer is only good for the first 50 people that use my code RWDFS today. And don't forget to use the code. That's RWDFS. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's FanDuel.com. Sign up today. All right, Chris, we're going to take a look at some of the, the hitting matchups that we have available for Tuesday. And I think the one that jumps out to you the most is probably the Nationals against David Buchanan. David Buchanan's really been one of the worst uh, everyday starters in the big leagues this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I it sort of blew me away when I when I saw the numbers. I mean, I, I knew he was, he was struggling, but this is sort of, I mean, for example, a 9.11 ERA in his 52.1 innings. And um, that's 9.11. Uh, strikeout to walk ratio against lefties is approaching 2 to 1 on the wrong side. So 17 walks and 9 strikeouts. Uh, 10 hits and 4 runs allowed in just 3.1 innings in his first start uh, since being recalled against the Braves September 9th. Unfortunately, the Nats don't have that many lefties. They have Harper, of course, but. Um, they have mostly right-hand hitters, but we don't have to worry about that either because uh, righties are slugging uh, 608 against uh, our friend Buchanan. So this is a guy who is almost a no-brainer full stack and maybe even can get some cheaper offensive plays from the Nats if you prefer that against him. 
And his lack of success against hitters from both sides of the plate, I think, is, is the key there. Because when you do a stack, so often it's about, you know, just a couple players in the lineup are, are good hitters against opposite-handed pitching. But against somebody like Buchanan, it's just been everybody that's been able to go nuts off, off of him. So even though it really only looks like right now that the, the Nationals have two left-handed options in Bryce Harper, who obviously are comfortable starting even against good lefties, uh, Clint Robinson actually also returned from the paternity list. So he could potentially see some action at first base. Uh, is batting in the fifth spot in Monday's lineup against righty Aaron Nola. So uh, potentially like him as somebody that could go off against Buchanan. Uh, but as you said, there's a lot of good options to choose from. And with a team like the Nationals, you just have to look at the talent in place. Obviously, they've underachieved this season, but still uh, a lot of a lot of good bats at, at your dip at your disposal with this lineup and uh, definitely a potential for some some high run totals. Absolutely. And, and, and this is what we look for. Uh, we talked earlier about, uh, well, we're still here, even though it's football season. And the reason we're still here is for opportunities like this, because um, there's going to be a lot of placeholders, even more than usual, even more than, say, earlier this month or last month. There's going to be a lot of opportunity just to, to stack up the hitters and, and see the point totals potentially fly. And David Buchanan, the ultimate placeholder, is just somebody that has probably no future in that Phillies rotation, but really just playing out the string and looking for guys to eat innings while not compromising some of their young arms right now. But I would say that my favorite uh, stack option is probably the Cardinals against the Brewers. Brewers are going to use another uh, placeholder of sorts, an Ariel Pena, right-hander, making his second start with the Brewers. He's a non-prospect, but he's really just kind of eating innings at this point uh, with Matt Garza being sent to the bullpen. He showed spotty control at AAA this year and in his last start with the Marlins. Pena had four walks in that outing, but against a team like the Cardinals, I don't think he's going to be able to get away with that. He held the Car- the Marlins to only two runs, but I think a team like the Cardinals that sports a top 10 walk rate in all of baseball and has a lot of guys that can get on base and make good contact, I think that's going to spell uh, trouble for Pena, especially at a hitter-friendly place like Miller Park. Uh, in particular, I think one of the better values right now in the Cardinals lineup might be Greg Garcia. He's been seeing some time at shortstop of late ahead of Johnny Peralta, who's really struggled here in the second half. Garcia is you know, a left-handed bat that could cause some trouble for Pena, batted in the fifth spot on Sunday. So if he sticks somewhere in that middle of the Cardinals lineup, I like him as a potential uh, cost-effective value at shortstop. Other bats that I'm targeting are Steven Piscotti, Matt Carpenter, Jason Hayward, Colton Wan. Uh, four of the Cardinals' best hitters against right-handers this season. So I think that there's a lot to like about uh, the Cardinals' lineup against the Brewers, even though the Cardinals are missing, obviously, some key pieces right now with uh, Holiday on the DL and Randall Gritchett kind of limited right now. Absolutely. And you say, you say that he struggled. He struggled, actually, the past two years in AAA. He had ERAs over four in both of those years. He had walk rates, well, 2014, it was over five this this year was a bit more manageable at 3.4, but he was striking out some batters in uh, the minor leagues. He hasn't he hasn't done that yet here, obviously. Small sample, but the walk rate has kept up. And, of course, you mentioned Miller Park. So this could be another another place where the lefties are great, but it almost wouldn't really matter. I would think that no matter where you go in your stack, you're going to see some decent return here. Pretty much any time the Astros and the Rangers get together, whether it's at Minute Maid Park or in Arlington, can always predict a lot of offense to break out just because of the park factors, the two lineups that are in place there. Is there one lineup among those two teams that you like stronger or that you like more so than the other? Yeah, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the Astros here. You know, it always seems like we, we say the same thing about the Astros. 
you know, power and strikeout prone. But we don't really have to worry about that against uh, the lefty Perez, who struck out just 3.7 righties per nine innings this season. That could be a real problem because the Astros, as I mentioned, have a lot of power. We have uh, George Springer with a 245 ISO against lefties. We have Carlos Correa with a 298 ISO. And we could even uh, plug in some cheaper options there, like a, like an Evan Gaddis or a Carlos Gomez. So there are a lot of righties with pop who could uh, make it a long day for Mr. Perez. Yeah, absolutely. And Martin Perez, of course, we talked about coming off that uh, Tommy John surgery. He's not somebody that you can really trust a whole lot at this point in, uh, in his return. He's somebody that I think is going to reemerge as a very useful pitcher for Texas in 2016. But right now, it's just kind of working out the kinks. He's not somebody that you can really trust on uh, as a streaming option in, in season long or uh, or in daily, certainly. And that means that you w- are going to want to take advantage of some of those hitters, any chance that you can get. I think another matchup that, that really intrigues me uh, from for, as far as stack potential goes, I know you just kind of like the right-handed power bats there for, for the Astros, but I think you could l- build a legitimate stack with Dodgers against Chris Russin, left-hander for the Rockies. This game's going to be at Dodger Stadium. So typically probably won't see as many people on the Dodgers as you would at a place like Coors Field. But the thing about Russin is he's just been probably one of the more confounding pitchers in all of baseball this season. He's got two complete games at Coors Field this season, including a complete game shutout. But he's followed up both of those outings with with just absolute disasters on the road. I think in the first one coming off that complete game shutout, he gave up 11 runs. And his last time out, he gave up about six runs in three innings. So it just seems that... He isn't. He's unable to build momentum from start to start, especially if it comes on the road. And the Dodgers, they rank fifth in in terms of WOBA versus left-handers this season. Uh, obviously, you're not going to want to use guys like Jock Peterson, who typically will find themselves out of the lineup against lefties. But a lot of uh, under the radar bats right now for the Dodgers that should be available for cheap if you want to construct a stack around them. Justin Ruggiano has been getting the start at the top of the order the last two games. Uh, when left-handers have been facing the Dodgers, and you have to think that he's going to be back there on uh, on Tuesday against Russin. Not somebody that I really like in terms of a guy that doesn't get on base as much as I'd like to see, but does have a decent amount of pop and speed uh, to fit that profile in the outfield. So he's somebody that I think, uh, for the minimum investment that he's going to cost you, he's probably somebody that is a little bit intriguing. I like Jose Peraza a little bit as well. He's uh, been getting some at-bats at second base. Uh, I think he left Sunday's game with an injury, but in the event that he's back on Tuesday, he's somebody that uh, intrigues me as well. Scott Van Slyke absolutely crushes lefties and pretty much gets in the lineup always uh, anytime there's a left-hander on the mound. So he's somebody that I'm keeping an eye on. And Justin Turner as well has just mashed all season, probably not since the not to the level that he was earlier in the season before that injury happened, but still a very effective option at third base. And I think if you can get maybe two or three of those bats in your lineup, uh, there's a lot of run potential to be had. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, Russin, uh, sort of uh, an interesting guy. Uh, has has some upside, you know, doesn't walk a lot of batters, keeps the ball on the ground, but as you said, uh, just just really prone to the blow-up here. Uh, the 5.14 ERA, uh, XFIP of about four, so maybe uh, we see a little bit of better things happening, but as you said, those right-handed uh, batters in the and specifically right-handed batters, the, the platoon options who, you know, left-handed pitching is their specialty, we could definitely see uh, a lot of runs. And, and, it, and it dovetails nicely into a win for Brett Anderson if, if you choose to go that way. 
Yeah, I mean, based on your recommendation, it might be a, a method where you can use just about everybody, uh, both your pitcher and your stack and your hitting choices uh, with that game matchup alone. But another game matchup that I think you're you're pretty high on in terms of run potential is the White Sox against Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks has been taking over a rotation spot for the Athletics, but really hasn't been that impressive since uh, getting that promotion. Yeah, and it's it's funny because he's a guy in the minor leagues. He has a he has a decent solid resume, but just one of those guys who came here and just hasn't shown he can do it yet. Seven point four four ERA over thirty two and and two thirds innings. Uh, he has just a strikeout rate of four point seven per nine against righties, which m- might be indicative of his five point two two xFIP. Um, there could be a little bit of correction coming. As I said, he he was he was a, a nice pitcher in the minors. His exit overall is four point three seven. So you know a far cry from that seven four four ERA. But we always have to consider the possibility that this simply a guy who's who's not ready to be here yet. And if that's the case, uh, we we need to jump on guys like that while we have the chance. And we always talked about with the White Sox. It seems like the theme is. Well, they have, you know, Jose Abreu, Melky Cabrera, who's been great since the All-Star break. But what else do they have besides that? Is this a case where uh, you're not going to necessarily go with four or five batters? Or would you just limit yourself to the studs in the middle of the lineup for the White Sox? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I might just limit myself to the studs and, and the more sure things, especially considering, as we talked about, how much real potential is in these hitters today. If if there weren't that many sack options, I might be tempted. But with, with so so many enticing plays, as we mentioned, I might just go a little lighter here and maybe take it a little heavier on the David Buchanan's of the world and uh, see where I come out. Yeah, so maybe that's a spot where if you see that you have first base left over, you plug in Abreu there. If you have outfield left over, you plug in Melky there. But not necessarily the 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 go all in route on the White Sox, but. Like I said, Aaron Brooks has been pretty bad this season, so you never know. Maybe even some of those lighter bats uh, could could uh, could spark you in in your DFS lineup. But that'll do it for the recommendations for the hitters and the pitchers for today's RotoWire DFS podcast, brought to you by FanDuel.com, the leader in one week fantasy football. This podcast is available on iTunes or Stitcher for your downloading convenience, so be sure to give us a rating, review, and don't forget to subscribe. And as always, best of luck on your daily contests.